Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag BYU. Wilson sprinting left, throws end zone, and it's caught. Touchdown. That was a great throw. The tight end, Isaac Rex. There, Wilson with a play fake. Going deep left side. He's got a man wide open, and the catch is made. That's Powell down the sideline. Neil Powell into the end zone. Touchdown. I say Powell. That's Dax Milne. Milne with the catch from Wilson, and BYU is not slowing down. 70 yards to Dax Milne for the Cougars' touchdown. And BYU blows out Troy, improves to 2-0. Zach Wilson throws yards. PK, how could it have been any better a home opener than that? Well, it could have been a better opponent. Aha! But other than that, the Cougars roll up 664 yards of total offense. They totally dominate for the second game in a row, and it leads to the question, how good are they really? Are Navy and Troy awful, or is BYU that good? Well, it could have had fans in there. That would have been another positive. Could have shut them out. Uh, Mill couldn't have dropped that punt. Special teams, first punt of the game. Man, I am on a uh, – you might as well just jump in and stop me, or you're else I'm going to come up with come 50 on, things. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're thinking like a coach. They're one big. They're feeling really good. we got to point out some negatives or they'll get a big head. That was a great opportunity for them uh, to get some more exposure in a world where it got started a little bit more. Obviously, the SEC, Big 12, had some really good games going on. Uh, So, BYU, you know, you're opening eyes because you're playing teams that don't have the rep, but you're pounding them, and you've got a lot of experience. You know, we can play this what-if game. This is the old days. How good is this BYU football team? You know, with these schedules that they've had in recent years, you really didn't have to worry about that. And the schedule that Tom had put together, we wouldn't have had to worry about it. We would have known by now. They would have played enough quality teams to where if they would have won their share or more, we couldn't say, oh, well, that team's having a down year, like we've said so many times in the past when BYU doesn't get credit for beating a brand name. Well, this year they had a bunch of brand names, but it was taken away from them. Still a very good football team, and hopefully Tom can – you know, there's talk of Boise State, and maybe in a bowl game we'll see if they can get some better competition, uh, or at least uh, on paper better competition. Louisiana Tech, I mean, I'm not going to throw them out the door for this week, but it does leave a lot of questions. Just how good is this team being the primary question and the overwhelming question, actually? That is the question of the morning. It's up on social media. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. You can hit me on Twitter, at David DJ James. They're 2-0. and but how good are they really? How much does it say about the Cougars? And how much does it say about Navy and Troy? But another dominating win for the Cougars. They dropped in the national polls. Well, that's because the Big Ten and the, the Pac-12 were allowed back in since they're going to play after all. The Cougars, 22 in both polls after being 18 and 21. So that's weird, but, well, 2020 is weird, so whatever. Win big and drop. Go figure. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football.
Costello takes a shotgun snap, floats it out left side. Hill pulls in a high pass, has the first down across the 35, across the 45, breaks a tackle, 50. Go, Kylan, go. 20, 10, 5, to the house. Touchdown, Kylan Hill. Hill in the backfield with Costello, who takes a snap. Slings it for the end zone. Touchdown, Bulldogs. Oh, Cyrus Mitchell. Oh, my. And he's put Mississippi State in front, 33-34, and over the right shoulder grab in the back right of the end zone. Well, PK, I know the national narrative is the Pac-12 sucks, but it turns out if you put a Pac-12 coach at Mississippi State and you put a Pac-12 quarterback at Mississippi State, they can take apart an LSU team in the opener. That we yeah. know for sure. Well, I mean, that was just something. 623 yards, I think it was, and the five touchdowns. Costello, you know, he came out of Southern California with all sorts of credentials. So we've watched him play. He's been on our show when we were down there at Pac-12 Media Day, sat right across him. He's a big kid. Leach with the passing mind, obviously, likes the air raid attack. So you put those two together, and uh, voila, as they say in France. I don't know if they say it in voila, uh, say voila in France, but they should. And that was sensational. After what felt like three straight weeks of week zero, where there's playing college football, but uh, didn't do much for me. This one, this one felt a little different because there were so many brand name schools that we all watch in trouble, and some of them got beat, like LSU. And obviously, LSU sent a lot of guys to the NFL, so maybe the expectations are just way too high for them. Uh, expectations are high for third-ranked Oklahoma, and they blew a 21-point lead. They had a 21-point lead twice and blew it and lost to Kansas State 38-35. Even if they were going to give up points, PK, it didn't seem like there was any reason for their offense to come to a grinding halt in the fourth quarter, but it did. Yeah, Rattler threw an interception there that sealed the game. The block punt was a big difference, uh, so you had special teams involved. A lot of things going on in that game. You were thinking Oklahoma had control of it. And sure enough, man, K-State with a thrilling, thrilling come-from-behind win. Also, Texas was in trouble, down 56-41 with about three and a half minutes to go. But they got a touchdown, an onside kick, another touchdown, a two-point conversion, and they won in overtime. So Oklahoma goes down. Texas barely survives. LSU gets beat. Uh, there, there were good results all over the place, entertaining games. I wonder, you know, with the, I don't know that I could say that they didn't, they didn't have training because they did have some form of training camp, but I, I, I don't know if it's just the screwy nature of it or any given Saturday and, and it's the big 12 and they don't play any defense anyway. So you got all those <laughs> things factoring in, you know, we're used to big scores coming out of that conference, uh, Oklahoma. And really hasn't had a defensive team in a good while. It's a lot of offense for these guys. and So it, football's back, man. It is something to uh, now we can get excited about and start the weekly countdown. You know, I wonder if it's just the, uh, the lack of um, the non-conference games where you have a couple gimmies and it enables you to kind of make mistakes and play through them and win anyway. And now... You don't have the non-conference game. You just go into the deep end of the pool. So when you make those mistakes, you get punished for them instead of uh, getting away with it because you're playing a team that's not as big, not as fast, and not as talented. Yeah, but the other guys aren't doing it either, so that washes out. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. 
second and goal now from just inside the one. Uh, Disley and Hollister lined up in the backfield. Probably shift him out. Play or fake not. to him on Hollister. Yes, he does. He takes the catch in the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks. Russell looks, sets, has time. Going to throw to the end zone. DK, he makes the catch. Touchdown, Seahawks. The Seahawks win another high-scoring thriller, 38-31. They beat the Cowboys. That's after their 35-30 win over the Patriots. Russell Wilson is throwing touchdown passes all over the place, and that defense is going to make sure he has a chance to accomplish the dramatic, PK. They're letting everybody else stay in the game. Uh, Yeah, that was an exciting game, man. Uh, Russell Wilson continues to scintillate. They're 3-0, which is important as you start to maybe, still a little early, obviously, but establish yourself. I think everybody in the West now has a loss, the NFC West I'm talking about. So Seattle's in first place. I think they're legitimate. Uh, Cowboys uh, change coaches. I'm not sure you really make a difference there, but they play in such a crappy division that they're probably still the best team. Russell Wilson is lighting it up with his uh, 14 touchdown passes in three games. Nobody's done that. You're looking for another quarterback lighting it up. Uh, Josh Allen's already thrown for 1,000 yards in three games. And the Bills are 3-0. They blew a huge lead to the Rams and then went down the field and converted a third and 22 on the game-winning drive. Got a help from a really shaky pass interference call. I thought it was a no call, but the refs called it, kept the drive alive, and they scored a touchdown and win the game. And Allen... Is looking awesome. A former uh, Wyoming quarterback who is lighting it up in Buffalo. Yeah, I thought that call was horrendous. It was on fourth down. I, I mean, it's just a regular jostle, give and take. Uh, guys fighting with each other that you see on so many different types of plays. But somehow they decided that was pass interference. It's like they knew it was fourth down. And so they uh, turned around. Well, not turned around. What am I trying to say? They said, well, it's fourth down. So this play has to be totally clean. And rather than, well, wait a second here. That's if we talk about a play that would you wouldn't call it earlier in the game, you know, the old uh, NBA thing of fouls a foul. Well, fouls in the fourth quarter you don't call. It was like the other way. Yeah. Fouls in the fourth quarter you do call. And and if I'm uh, if I'm the Rams, man, I, I just feel like I got totally ripped off. Other scores of note, the Packers beat the Saints 37-30. Taysom Hill with the uh, untimely fumble there, PK. Losing the ball, and that was a big play as the Packers pull out, pull it out at the end, and Aaron Rodgers throws three TD passes. Well, a couple of things. They were saying that a guy said this was the worst draft choice to draft Jordan Love. For this season, it was the best thing they could have done. Because <laughs> they fired up Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. And so Aaron Rodgers looks like uh, he was reborn, uh, and he's always been very good. So I don't want to say, oh, he turned back the clock because he was pretty good last year, but he might be better this year. And this Hill thing, you know, it's never really burned them because he's come in on a bunch of plays at times where uh, if you were to make a mistake, it would be so crucial. But he's never really done that until Sunday night. He did that. The ball was loose and... And, and obviously it hurt them. It's not the play that cost them the game, but it certainly hurt them at the time. Raiders get their first loss. New England able to run the ball throughout that game and uh, beat the Raiders 36-20. 
The Broncos may never win again. The Buccaneers beat them 28 to 10. They got so many injuries in Denver. They're winless right now. And another winless team out there, Minnesota is 0-3. The Titans have won three squeakers in a row. They could barely beat anybody, but they always seem to pull it out in the end. 31-30, they beat Minnesota. Six field goals, and clutch field goals have been the name of the game for them this year. That's why you need to get a rule on field goals. You get three chances per half. Use them at your discretion. You just can't allow games to be all field goals. It just really bugs me. The Patriots, you know, he's taken with a Burkhead and T- uh, Taylor, the kid from the U of A, small kid. Uh, you should remember him. He was a running back for them the last few years, along with Shell there. And away you go. And here we go again. And they're, you know, obviously they're a yard away from being undefeated. Uh, and Buffalo is going to give them a test. But other than that, not sure that uh, the other, the Jets and Miami is going to be able to challenge the Dolphins or the uh, Patriots. I mean, you never know on the given Sunday, the old phrase that Pete Rozelle coined decades ago. It does play out. So there's not a huge difference between a lot of teams. But I expect the Patriots, I don't know that they're going to be in the playoffs, but I certainly expect them to be a playoff contender. And if they get in, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Monday Night Football, it's the Chiefs, it's the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, NFL MVP, Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP, ESPN tonight. Can't get more hype than this one this early in the season, PK. This is it. Oh, it's Two a game quarterbacks of the week. we all yeah. love to watch. Yeah, I'm excited for the game. And the weird story of the weekend, uh, Joe Montana confronting a home intruder who was attempting to kidnap their nine-month-old grandchild. The kid was asleep in a playpen on Saturday. The woman, unknown woman, enters the home in Malibu, and uh, Montana and his wife Jennifer confront the woman and get the kid back. That was a bizarro story. Well, the suspect has been identified. It isn't an unknown woman, uh, but, yeah, that is a bizarre story. But, you know, the thing that struck me is I saw, and I, I... Obviously, I should have realized it, but they had Montana, comma, 64, comma. When did Joe Montana become 64 years old? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. One day at a time, like everything else. I mean, the the quarterback of my youth is 64 years old? Wait a minute. (laughs) It really, really surprised me for some reason. I, I just think of Joe Montana... Uh, as forever young, Steve Young's foundation, but <laughs> nevertheless, he's 64 years old, and that, I mean that's a, like a lighthearted line in a serious story. But fortunately, Joe sent out a tweet: everything's okay. It is a bizarre story. But Joe Montana, 64 years old. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Back to Bam, same spot, trying to find Robinson. Bam will put it on the deck, goes in, off the glass, and good, right over Brown. Inside Bam, little 10-footer. He is fouled and got it to go, and he'll go to the line to try and tie this game up. Excuse me, take a one-point lead. And the Miami Heat are headed to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in franchise history, looking for their fourth Larry O'Brien trophy, beating the Boston Celtics four games to two in the best-of-seven Eastern Conference Final. The final score, Miami 125 and Boston 113. 
So it's the Heat and it's the Lakers. They both clinch over the weekend. The Lakers get it done in five games on Saturday night. They knock the Nuggets out. The Heat beat the Celtics in six. Anything really surprised you, PK, or these series, they were kind of pointing in this direction, and these two teams did what they were supposed to do? Well, I thought the Heat had the best player in the East as the players got going, as the playoffs got going, I should say, and that was Jimmy Butler. So I identified them a couple of series ago thinking that they were going to be there because I just didn't think the Bucs had enough. And the Heat, they got Jimmy Butler and Drogic's, they got some good good players to, to support those guys. And then they got two Kentucky guys, man, out of bio and freaking hero. I, I've been saying it. I've been saying it for years. Calipari knows how to identify and recruit ballers. And guys who are underdrafted, both of these kids have were underdrafted. I think they were both in the teens. <laughs> and I think, I think out of bio went, uh, did he go two after... Or one after Donovan Mitchell, right in that right in that area in 2017. Yeah, in the middle of the first round. I don't. Yeah, know it's like one or two spots after Mitchell was taken. Obviously, the Jazz Clearly, they made that game day trade, yeah. and that was a great trade or game draft day trade. But Adebayo is a big time player himself. He had 32 points in the uh, closeout game, and clearly, if they redrafted those drafts, those guys would go higher. But yeah, too late now. Miami's got him. So, are we picking the Lakers over Miami? Yeah, I am. Yeah, the Laker bench, I was wrong. I did not think they had enough on that bench. Well, no, I expect time, Kuzma. They didn't, have, they didn't have Rondo at the time. No, so they I expect Kuzma him back in. I expect Kuzma to to do stuff. So having him contribute off the bench, I expect that every game out of him. Just he's going to be decent enough. Sometimes he has the opportunity and he cashes in on it, being really good. But. Howard, Caruso, Rondo, much better bench than I anticipated. And LeBron is still a phenomenal ball player, has been for so long, that, yeah, I'm expecting, unfortunately for those around us who don't want the Lakers, I'm expecting them to win. Yeah, worst-case scenario. The team's good enough to carry it to the fourth quarter, and then LeBron takes over in the fourth quarter. That looks like the recipe. Utah Jazz announced the hiring of Del Demp. Del Demps and Keon Dooling added to Quinn Snyder's staff. And uh, Snyder knows them from uh, connection to the G League days in Austin. Uh, you surprised that Demps, after the front office role, is uh, back into coaching? I guess that would be the surprise for me a little bit. Not surprised that uh, looking for uh, ways to fill out the staff, Quinn would go to people he crossed paths with earlier in his career. That, that seems pretty obvious. I don't know. They're assistant coaches. So, yeah, great. I don't know anything. About, I mean, I know Demps was in management, but he wants a job, and Quinn Snyder's a friend of his, and so Quinn Snyder thinks that those guys can help him. Great. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. St. Louis Cardinals grab a playoff berth on the final day by beating the Milwaukee Brewers 5-2. So they're into the postseason, but Milwaukee backed in when the Giants and the Phillies also got beat. So now it's best two out of three wild card series. A little danger here, PK. Two out of three. That can get away from you really quickly. Uh, Or you can uh, dominate also, too. I mean, yeah, this is postseason. 
You get a pitcher and a hitter, gets a clutch hit, and a pitcher gets hot. Although you'd have to think they'd probably be hot at this point. So, yeah, now, now it's the postseason already. And the Angels making a uh, change after five straight losing seasons. The general manager, Billy Epler, is out. That decision already made. They were just waiting for the season to end. They lose to the Dodgers 5-0, and he's gone. Maybe this will get Mike Trout into the postseason. Uh, pitching will. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL and Minnesota split the points. A scoreless game. Andrew Putna coming up big in goal with three big saves when it looked like Minnesota's about to score. So RSL gets their first point ever out of a trip to Minnesota. And now they come home to face LAFC, who unexpectedly split the points with San Jose. 1-1. PK, this is getting distracting down here. They were in Provo, and Chad Lewis just came around the corner. It's like we're sitting in this kind of alcove, and so you got two quarters that people can sneak up on you. You've had multiple administrators now. The National Football Football Foundation is having their annual golf tournament here. So we got... uh, we got people arriving early here. We'll have uh, we'll be talking some football later today, and uh, Chad's going to join us at uh, eight o'clock. That's smart to talk football. You know, my good friend Snakes. You know how much I love soccer, but I, I have a hard time rejoicing in ties. Yeah, I know. And I hear you. Know, you. you go downstairs or whatever you want to call it, and the first two questions to interview uh, for your coach was: I wrote them down. How proud were you? How impressed were you? They didn't win the game. <laughs> I know. You know, and their ties that feel like wins and their their ties that feel like losses. When they scored twice late in Portland to get a point, everyone's fired up. It felt like a win. This one, this one felt like a tie. It just felt like a tie. But how proud were you? How impressed were you? Neither. Yeah. We didn't win the game. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, DJ PK, What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, Kevin White, Eric Jacobson. Uh, Kevin's the Utah State radio analyst. Eric Jacobson, the president-elect of the National Football Foundation, Utah chapter. They're going to join us later this hour. John Hartwell, Utah State Athletic Director. Chad Lewis, the former BYU star, Eagles tight end. Robbie Bosco, the former BYU quarterback, slated to be here at 8. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider in the 9 o'clock hour. And PK, in radio, he's the great white whale. Are we going to speak with Tom Homo today? A definite maybe in the 9 o'clock hour. It could be. It might happen. Stay well, I read the that. text, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. All right, DJ and PK, that's what's on tap for today. Live from Riverside Country Club, Provo, the National Football Foundation Golf Tournament. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal!
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Our good friend Howard Beck. I want to get your thoughts on a couple of staff moves the Jazz made today. They hired former Pelicans general manager Dale Demps as an assistant coach, and they also hired former NBA guard Keon Dooling to be in player development. I know them both. Keon's really smart, really thoughtful. He's a guy who's going to have a great touch with everybody. Good guy to have in the organization. Dale Demps knows the game really well. He's a bright guy. He deserves to be in this league. It's great that he's decided to put himself back on the basketball side and see where that leads him. You know, you never know. With guys who are younger in their careers, and he still is, you try the front office path, you try the coaching path, you see what fits you best. I'm just glad to see him back. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're broadcasting live from the National Football Foundation Golf Tournament. We are joined now by Eric Jacobson, the president-elect of the NFF Utah chapter, and Kevin White, Utah State radio analyst. Guys, good morning. Good morning. How are you? It's uh, nice and balmy out here. (laughs) It's a little brisk right now, but it's going (laughs) to warm up later. Uh, Eric, let's start with you. The National Football Foundation, what is the best part of the NFF what do they do here in the Utah chapter that makes you want to spend some time and be the president-elect? <laughs> the National Football Foundation um, supports football in every way. And uh, the new motto for the National Football Foundation is future of football. And um, there's just a lot of challenges, especially um, in today's world with football growing and those that support it. So the National Football Foundation from a national level does a fantastic job here on the local level, we do a great job of supporting high school football, of um, really promoting the good things that football offers and, and what it means on a, on a national level and even on a local level and then the opportunity of supporting athletes and giving scholarships. We give out anywhere from 12 to 14 scholarships a year and have done so for the last 26 years and it continues on our level to, to grow and become more and more popular and and um, the support continues to grow so that scholarship stuff you talk about it is providing high school kids with the opportunity to go to college absolutely yep yeah and it's it's really interesting uh, pk that uh, with uh, with our scholar award winners when you look at these kids the average gpa is about 3.95 average act is around 28 29 and every single one of these kids are first-team All-Staters. And so, I mean, high-quality kids that uh, become future leaders in our community, great husbands and fathers. It's really what we're trying to promote is, is the future leaders of America. And there's nothing that does that better than, than football. And uh, high school football in the, uh, the state of Utah is getting better and better and better. Now we can keep our good high school players in state. That's going to be one of the challenges. So I get emails from the National Football Foundation uh, every year, and they're tracking the growth of the sport. There's always a record number of schools playing, as more schools add. And they track that it's more, you know, at every division, every level, NAIA, NCAA. Here in the West, though, we have seen some schools dropping it. We've seen JC football kind of, you know, retreating in numbers with the Arizona schools getting out. Is there anything the NFF tries to do to support the schools that are – that are wavering a little bit in their commitment to it? I don't think there's a financial way to support it, but just in, um, in recognition and in bringing um, spotlight to what football does and the importance of it to, um, to a community, to a school, um, and even the importance just to growing young men. 
So just bringing a spotlight to the good things that football brings. Um, you have Mothers for Football. They've done a really good job on a national ad campaign from that standpoint. Um, pushed for a long time that football matters to each and all of us. And then um, what they do nationally, just in the awards they give, and that national um, convention that they have each year, and the College Hall of Fame, it's tied to the College Football Hall of Fame. So they do a really good job of promoting and bringing spotlight to the good things that football offers. Hey, you know, it's interesting that all the, the award Kevin, winners... You- Oh, I'm sorry, PK. Go ahead, you, Kevin. You touched on that, man. As is it a little bit of a double-edged sword? You're bringing attention to the state of high school football, and and I went on and looked on your uh, Twitter account, and you've got a bunch of kids that you highlight. And you're right. The G, you said I think it was three five. I looked like the GPA, the average three GPA was three eight five. I mean, these kids here with their remarkable accomplishments as young people really gives you hope to the future. But I'm wondering, it's also bringing attention and it's bringing in recruiters from outside the state and then kids are leaving. And it kind of bothers me to an extent. I mean, I appreciate what they're doing and wouldn't uh, uh, criticize anybody taking advantage of it. But like you, I'd love to see our kids stay home. No doubt. And, uh, you know, many of them do uh, stay here at the local schools. And many of these kids, you know, their last opportunity to play football is going to be at the high school level. I mean, we're talking about kids from 1A to 6A that are our award winners. And, uh, and you know, you get a kid from Rich High School or a kid from, uh, a kid from Corner Canyon. I mean, these kids are so impressive. They're, the ability to go on and get their college education, that's really what it's all about. But, you know, make no mistake about it. Every year we've got the, the Mr. Football or the, the you know, MVPs of each classification that are going to be award winners for us because most of these kids are high achieving both in the classroom and on the football field. And, and yeah, we'd love to keep a guy like Haloti Nada here in, in, <laughs> in the state of Utah. But, uh, you know, when you get the Sewell kids going to Oregon and you get, you know, it's great for the state to get that amount of recognition. But, uh, you know, our, our schools in the state of Utah are – filled with the kids and the award winners that we have every single year as well. And, and the great thing about football is it just enhances the lives of these young men. It enhances the communities in where they live, and it just adds value to them moving forward. And there's nothing easy about football, not from the minute you put a pad on till the minute the season's over. It's hard. And the only day you don't hurt is the day before you put pads on. But that's life. And football teaches life better than any other sport. And then it just enhances them academically it enhances them socially and it gives them the skill set they need to go on beyond football like Kevin said most of us most of football players play till high school and don't have a chance at the next level but what they learn in high school carries with them through their whole lives you know it's uh it's interesting with the coaches out of state you know figuring out that they should come to Utah and recruit and and PK going to the Pac-12 media days has talked to uh, Stanford's coach uh David Shaw about this and he's like oh no there's there's really academic kids and really athletic kids and that combo's hard to find so I'm coming to Utah I'm coming back I'm coming often I'm waiting for the other highly academic schools to figure that out yeah. and it's a little easier for Stanford because they're in the conference and they see the results Utah's getting they played BYU but do you think Northwestern Duke Rice Vanderbilt I mean you can go down the yeah. list it's like at some point, they're going to figure it out, too. And they're further away, so maybe that's a factor, but you know, it's like a hurdle that can be cleared. Our, our top award winner last year was Cole Hagen from Corner Canyon, who ends up at Yale. So, 
Hey, but we've had uh, Dallas Lloyd, who played at Stanford, and, mm-hmm. and Sean Barton, who played at Stanford. And, you know, we've got a bunch of these kids that have gone on to those kinds of academic institutions and have had great football careers as well. That's what this promotes. It's all about academics. It's all about athletics. And it's about uh, how you serve in your community. And every year, our award recipients, where they separate themselves, because they're all great football players, mm-hmm. they're all great in the classroom, where they separate themselves is in what they're doing in the community their service that they're providing. And so we grade each player and each award recipient based upon those three ca- uh, categories. And every year it comes down to what they've done in the community. And when you see the accomplishments that they've done in their community with their, you know, serving their school or their f- fellow students or fellow, uh, you know, some have done refugee trips and different mm-hmm. things. I mean, these kids are just so impressive in what they're doing. And they're actually a great example to the rest of their schoolmates within their own school and community. So uh, it just, there's nothing but good that comes out of this foundation. All right, let's get to the hardcore guys. How good the Aggies going to be this year? <laughs> Do you want me to take that one, Eric? Yeah, you've, I think you're better prepared than I am. Oh. <laughs> the body language is too bad. This is radio. That was awesome. Eric. That was, that was so, spectacular. PK, you know, Scotty and I have talked a lot about this. And, uh, um, you know, I think that Gary is really, really excited about 2021. <laughs> um, you know, when you looked at the schedule and you've got all the, the, the power teams from the western side of the, the, the conference and you had Boise, you got to go to Boise, you got to go to Colorado State, you got to go to Wyoming. This, this year set up for a kind of a five and, uh, five and five or six and six, kind of a 500 season, I think, for, for Utah State. And then, obviously, you lose Jordan Love, you lose Gerald Bright, you lose a bunch of receivers. But you know what? you got a bunch of offensive linemen that are all coming back for their junior year this year. And you get Andy Koch back at left tackle. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you get a little bit of optimism when you get Jason Shelley that transfers in. So you've got a couple of wide receivers that you got transferring in. Uh, you should be really good in the defensive secondary. Okay at linebacker. Defensive line, you got to reload on. So, and there's a bunch of positions out there that are unknown, and I think it kind of sets up for a, a 500 season. But you know, you never know with everything that's going on. Um, you know, are people going to be ready to play? And and I know that Gary's got the group practicing hard and, and getting him ready to go. So we'll see if when the schedule comes out, hopefully this week, where we need to go and where who's going to come to us. I'm guessing that uh, we'll still have to go to Boise and Colorado State and Laramie. Those will be tough places to play for sure. So. Um, I'm hoping for a little bit better than six and six. Uh, well, what do we get? Eight games, four and four, and possibly a bowl opportunity. That would be a win for this year's uh, 2020 Aggie football team. Okay, Eric. Now let's get to the Utes. <laughs> Your Utes. Eric's a Ute from the '80s. So, what are your expectations with the uh, with an All Pac-12 conference schedule here? Not knowing for sure who the crossover game is going to be, but guessing. Oregon. <laughs> I just had to guess. You know, um, I don't know a lot about the particulars up on the hill. I do know that uh, with Kyle that we'll play like crazy. Uh, we have really good players and consistently have really good players. I think the best example of that is how many we put in the draft mm-hmm. every year, um, which you know goes to the talent level and the development of, of players. So I assume that We'll have a good chance or we'll win the South and hopefully get a chance to play in the Pac-12 championship game again and, and get over the hump. So we'll be prepared, and we've got really good players, and we figured out how to win a lot of football games. So I figure we'll be in the Pac-12 championship game and get over the hump and see what happens after that. Hey, we need to broker a, a crossover game with Utah State in Utah. Yeah, that'd be nice. 
Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Love to do that at some I, point. Eric's looking a little reluctant here. Again with the body language. It doesn't translate on radio, but I'm enjoying it here. <laughs> okay, here's a toss-up question for you both. How about this? The Cougars are 2-0. and Is it the Cougars or is it Navy and Troy? How good are they? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give, I'll give it was in bailout mode. <laughs> Eric, you handle this one. Uh, they're pretty darn good. I mean, they've got... Everybody back on their offensive line, and it's it's showing right now. They're manhandling people up front, and their defensive front. I thought Saturday night was was lights out as well. I, they're really good up front, and so they're going to give everybody that they play a lot of challenges because they're going to dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage. So, I think that uh, you know with the schedule that they have, I think they've got a chance to to go undefeated. Then the question we'll all be talking about is should they be in the college playoff? Which everybody down in this valley likes to talk about, that's for sure. But uh, I don't know. I think Troy's actually pretty good. Navy, they came back and got a win against Tulane. You know, came back from way behind. And so they'll always play hard. But BYU is really, really good. There you go. <laughs> Eric does not want to weigh in on that. No compliments. As a former, you, you can't weigh in on BYU. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you're kind of, isn't it the saying, you are what your record says you are? So there you go. All right, there it is. <laughs> Pride a compliment out of Eric. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> All right, guys, hey, we appreciate a, a few minutes. Good luck with the golf tournament today and uh, with your work awarding scholarships going forward. Thanks a lot. Thanks okay. for your support. Yep. All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, the Aggie Athletic Director, John Hartwell, is going to join us. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Athletic Director at Utah State, John Hartwell. Hey, let's play ball, man. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> I love pumped. it. How great was that when you were able to break the news to your athletes that they were going to play? It was unbelievable. I mean, just knowing that we've got a plan put together for it, Gary and his staff and, and our student athletes. We're really excited. And obviously, we've got some work over the next four weeks to get ready. And then there will be some challenges throughout the season, I'm sure. But just the anticipation and the excitement of trying to get back to something that's somewhat normal, I think, has everybody excited. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, DJ and PK, we're joined now by John Hartwell, Utah State Athletic Director. So... <laughs> we have so many questions for you and every athletic director. What a year. Is your head just ready to explode at times this summer with all the possibilities, all the options, and less control than ever? And it just changes by the minute almost. Hopefully uh, we're we're on the backside of that right now. And uh, i never forget my, my dad used to always tell me adversity builds character. Uh, the last six or seven months, I think we've got an, all got enough character to last for a, for a lifetime. But uh, you, you've just got to learn to be flexible, try to stay positive, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, like I said, we're on the backside of this thing, and uh, you know, full speed ahead, trying to play a football game three weeks from Saturday. This is a trip for you to come down to Logan to Provo. Why are you down there supporting the uh, Utah chapter of the National Football Foundation? Yeah, National Football Foundation 
does so much to promote the game of football and, and obviously – uh, the the individual chapters, the the state chapters, and and the the national um, organization does so much uh, to promote the game of football. And you know, uh, you you the the game of football for the last four or five years has really been under fire in in some cases, and and there have been huge advancements in safety. And you know, going going back to to relating it to COVID nineteen. I mean, at the end of the day. Student athlete safety and welfare ha- has to be at the forefront of everything that we do. Um, but football and and you can you know injuries occur. Injuries are a part of sport, regardless uh, how careful you are. And and they're unfortunate. And you know uh, we're blessed uh, at Utah State and at institutions around the country to have tremendous sports medicine folks, the doctors and the trainers. But but football. Uh, teaches so much about the game of life and and about how it takes teamwork and and uh, you know you have to battle through adversity you have to battle through pandemics and things like that and it's uh, it does so much uh, for young men uh, teaching about the game of life and and so everything that we can do through the National Football Foundation to promote the all the good things happening in football I think it's important for us to do. So I think a lot of these high school football players, especially the better ones who are going to be recruited, have questions about how scholarships are going to work going forward because everybody who's in school – you're already rolling your eyes. I don't want to talk about it. Everybody who's in school now, they're not – this doesn't count as a year. You're basically getting a free red shirt, which makes sense, and we all get that. But if you're up against an 85 scholarship limit, how are you going to bring in a new class of 25 if – you don't have a graduating class. I mean, you'll have some attrition along the way, but are they going to bump the number up to 100 or 105 and bring it down five every year to get back on track? How does this work? Well, pardon the pun here, but that's the million-dollar, really more than the million-dollar question there. And, and there's really two components to, to the challenge. One, it's financial, and, and every institution in the country, uh, based on uh, cancellation of sports last spring and then – uh, delay or cancellation this fall of sports uh, is is dealing with monumental financial challenges. So that that's the one component of it. There, uh, the other component is roster management, and that's really you know the 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 scholarship or the financial portions really more on the administration side. The the roster management's more on the coaching side. And, and the NCAA has given the ability to to increase those numbers, so you'll obviously be able to have more than 85 uh, going into next fall. Uh, but it's it's up to institutional discretion. And you know, let's let's just look at the numbers. If you know, if you have 85, we have 85 kids on scholarship. Uh, we have roughly 108 to 110 on our roster. So you've got you know, roughly 25. Um, walk-ons so all of a sudden if you take that number and you say okay we're going to add a whole nother class to it you could have upwards of you know 105 or so on scholarship and have a roster of 135 or 140 so from a coach's perspective and and oh by the way the one thing that doesn't change you can't have any more than 11 guys on the field at one time so keeping kids happy uh, and engaged 
uh, is a challenge with 85 on scholarship and 105 on your roster. And all you've got to look at is the transfer portal and the number of, of student athletes who are in, in that on a regular year. So it, it is going to be a challenge, um, both financially and roster management-wise, but it's something we'll work through. Like you said, you're always going to have attrition. You're going to have some transfers out. You're going to have the Henry Columbies uh, leaving and you know, going to Texas Tech or you know, uh, other examples of things like that. Um, but we've also got to be able to manage it financially, too. So we, we uh, you know, and, and Gary and I have talked uh, at length about that, and we'll just work our way through between now and the end of the season. And when we get to January, you know, we'll look at that. The other component there is how strange this recruiting year is because, you know, you have most, most high schools around the country other, other than several uh, states are playing now, but you've got some junior college leagues who are playing a spring schedule. So um, plus guys can't go on the road, you know, uh, since uh, the middle of March, not only football, but no sports have been able to go on the road. And now that's been extended through the end of December. So it's, it, it just like everything we're dealing with, it's uncharted territory, and we'll, we'll kind of navigate our way through it. Do you know if the Mountain West, when it gets going, is going to play all of its members, play exclusively conference games and no non-conference games? So, great, great question there. Uh, for the most part, we'll have eight conference games uh, straight through from the weekend of uh, October 24th through December 12th and then a, a conference championship game on December 19th. And we have had, uh, since last uh, Thursday night, multiple ADs calls. We've got another one this afternoon trying to finalize a schedule here uh, in the next day or two. Uh, but you've, you've got a couple of situations where teams won't play eight conference games. So you've got Air Force who plays Navy this Saturday, and then they've got Army scheduled for uh, November 7th. So uh, that's one weekend they won't be able to play. There's also another conflict for them in relation to uh, to exams on December 12th that we're trying to work through right now. Uh, just saw Chad Lewis walk up here. You know, one of the potential scenarios for uh, for to offset that that November 7th game, because we have 12 teams in our league, so if you pull out Air Force, then somebody else has got to be off that week too. So, you know, there there is talk. Uh, I, I don't know how significant that talk is, but there's talk about a Boise-BYU matchup on, on November 7th. So, uh, you know, there may be a one-off or two that are non-conference games, but for the most part, everybody's going to be conference only. So New Mexico's governor didn't sound big on having football happen. Do they have to play all road games? Hawaii's had a quarantine. Are people going to test before they get on a charter, or is that going to be a problem? Are the California schools going to be able to play? seems like there's a lot of questions. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of question marks. Now, as far as Hawaii goes, uh, that quarantine, the mandatory 14-day quarantine is going away on October 15th. So as long as the testing is done within 72 hours, uh, prior to getting to Hawaii, that should be okay. And, you know, part of our testing, we're going to do three times a week antigen test. And if there are any positives with the antigen test, they're going to be backed up by a PCR test. New Mexico, um, Eddie Nunez, my counterpart there, they're trying to navigate through that. You know, it wouldn't be ideal if they played everything on the road, but their intention is to play. And then as far as the California schools go, 
I would say San Diego State is ahead of the other two uh, in terms of they've been working out and doing some things. Uh, San Jose, which is in the same county as Stanford is, uh, they've got some challenges still. And then Fresno may be the the most difficult one of all to navigate because they hadn't had any of their student-athletes really back on campus the entire summer. So for them to, to, you know, all of a sudden ramp up in 29 days, 30 days to be able to play, that's going to be difficult. And so all that leads into saying, you know, are we going to keep two six-team divisions or are we going to put everybody into, you know, into one pot and then the top two teams will play the championship game? And I think that's the way it's starting to lean now to, to be able to just put everybody in there and take the top two to play that championship game. What's going to happen to the contracts that you had with the teams, the non-conference games that you were originally scheduled to play this season that's obviously been shelved? Yeah, the, an, another great question. So we we are working through those right now. Obviously, uh, you know the Pac-12 pulled out of playing initially before uh, before the Mountain West did. So we had Washington State coming to our place to open up, and then uh, at Washington uh, week three. So initially, you know, we talked with them about rescheduling those games. Then when we decided, you know, when the Mountain West decided to to put a pause on playing, those kind of became a moot point. You know, still working with BYU, obviously there was a game missed there, and then Southern Utah was our other non-conference opponent for this year. But but I will say this, and I said this uh, on a couple of interviews over the weekend, the collegiality amongst all of our institutions, I mean, we've all gone through financial challenges. We're, we're all, you know, there are no dead red fastballs in college athletics right now. Everything's a curve, and you better stay back on it and be able to hit that pitch wherever it gets delivered to you. So we're all working together. We'll, we'll come up with a solution on those, on those things going forward. That sounds good right now, but that's a lot of money at stake. Do you think when push comes to shove, you know, if it's a team you play home and home every year, that seems easier to me to work out when it's a one-off with a money game or if there's been a change in the administrator and the coach who thought it was a good idea to play the game, that seems like it could get trickier. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, the the Washington game for us uh, was a million five guarantee, but again, it, it really becomes a moot point. Uh, to some extent, if if both leagues say, "Hey, we're not playing," uh, Washington State, which was the front end of a home and home, so we go to Pullman next year. Um, I've been working with Pat Chun, their AD, and what we're looking at doing, because uh, you know most schedules are filled five, six years out now. So looking at an opportunity for Washington State to come back to Logan is probably out twenty seven, twenty eight. Um, so what we're looking at doing is potentially making next year's game in Pullman, a guarantee game where they'll pay us a guarantee, and then us scheduling another home-and-home a little further out. Well, that was informative. That was a lot of ground we covered right there, John. Good work. It's uh, And now will everything change in the next 48 hours anyway? <laughs> hey, knock on wood. Like I said, I'm, I'm hoping we're on the backside of this thing. There are going to continue to be challenges, whether it's, you know, having to shut down practice for a couple of days here or there, hopefully not having to, to lose a game. But, hey, that's the one thing we've learned over the last six or seven months. you just got to roll with the punches. 
John Hartwell, Utah State Athletic Director, joining us. Thanks for coming on for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great day. We're going to talk BYU with Chad Lewis coming up next. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.